Well, good morning. My name is JJ Washington, and I serve at the North American Mission Board, and it is truly an honor and a privilege to be here with you all on this morning in the great state of Louisiana. I want to thank Brother Keith for inviting me to come and share with you all. Uh, let me just say this, and I know most of you already know this, that you have a great state director of evangelism. Keith is a good man. I know he loves pastors. I know he loves this state, and I know he wants to reach this state with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you all are truly fortunate to have him leading the charge in the area of evangelism for the state of Louisiana. Today I want to talk with you from the subject, when it comes to evangelism. When it comes to evangelism. I'm going to share with you four important things that I want you to remember when you leave this room when it comes to evangelism. So if you have a copy of the Word of God, would you go ahead and turn there with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5 will be our text on this morning. I have a New King James Version of the Word of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. And the word of the Lord reads, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I, Paul says, was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but contrast. There was something very obvious about his preaching. It was in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Look at verse 5, which is a purposeful clause. He gives us the answer of why he was so intentional. He says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but contrast in the power of God. Let us pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to preach to these dear people. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give me a fresh touch. Lord, that as I preach your word, I would preach it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet every person in this room at their point of need on this day. And Lord, we'll be careful to give you all the glory. Hide me behind your cross, O oh God. Let me decrease while you increase in this moment. And Lord, have your way in this place. We need you. I need you. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. The first thing I want you to know is this, that you don't need eloquence. You don't need eloquence when it comes to evangelism. Notice what Paul says in the opening verse. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. 
Now, the two words there right in the beginning are very important, and if you're not careful, you would probably overlook it just like I did when I initially began to study this text. The words, and I, are very important because it connects what Paul is getting ready to say in verses 1 through 5, what Paul has been discussing already in chapter 1, beginning at verse 17, where Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but contrast to preach the gospel and not with wisdom of words. Why? Lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Paul then goes on to explain in the remaining verses of chapter 1 that Paul basically says that the world through its own wisdom did not know God. So in God's wisdom, it pleased him through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So while the world sees the message of the cross as foolishness, to those who are being saved, to those who are called, it is the power of God. Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. Paul goes on in that same text to recall two experiences to drive home his big idea that the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of men and the weakness of God is greater than the strength of men. The first experience that Paul recalls is the Corinthians themselves, their own calling. Paul says to the Corinthians that you are proof that God calls the foolish, the weak, and the insignificant, why? To put to shame the wise, mighty, and noble, why? So that no flesh may boast before him, but rather only in the Lord. I was driving over here from Arkansas last night talking with my wife on the phone, and I was just sharing with her how I feel so blessed and fortunate to be able to do what I do. I can't believe that God would choose this foolish this weak and insignificant man who is from Clearwater, Florida, North Greenwood Housing Projects, Building 9, Apartment 9, to be doing what I get to do today. But he does it so that no flesh may boast in his sight, but rather only in the Lord. But then Paul also recalls his own ministry experience, his evangelism in Corinth as evidence for the reality that God's wisdom, God's foolishness is greater than the wisdom of man and God's weakness is greater than the strength of man. Here's what Paul basically says. I'm going to go ahead and give you the answer to the test, the big idea for the text that I'm getting ready to preach. And here's it is. Paul basically says that his evangelism, watch this, was not marked by eloquence, or human wisdom wasn't marked by that. Rather, it was marked by the simple message of a crucified Christ from a simple man. And watch this. It was a demonstration of the Spirit's power as the Corinthians placed their faith in the power of God rather than the wisdom of men. Was evidence. Them themselves are their evidence. Paul's ministry experience in Corinth was evidence. You don't need eloquence, friend. Now, let me give you a picture of the setting that he walked into in Corinth. 
because you'll see a lot of similarities with Corinth and with North America. Corinth was a very much a, a, a commercial center because of the transportation of cargo across the Isthmus, which was this narrow strip of land that connected the Peloponnese to the mainland of Greece. Corinth was also home to the Isthmian Games, which was second only to the Olympic Games. So there's this, this booming commercial center there because of the Isthmus and where it was situated. There was this uh, sports fanatics because of the Isthmian Games that was held there all the time. And then Corinth was also notorious for immorality. Not like our setting today. See, to Corinthian eyes, meant to have illicit sex. And a Corinthian girl was a prostitute. The cultic prostitution was actually practiced in Corinth at the temple of Aphrodite. So Paul enters into this situation with the gospel. He spends 18 months there in Corinth with both Silas and Timothy. He plants the church, and after some time, he leaves for Ephesus, and then he writes a letter back, and that letter did not have the desired effect, and we don't have that letter. Then Chloe's people comes to Paul along with Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, and they give Paul a report on the church. So Paul takes out a pen, writes the letter, and in this letter, which we call 1 Corinthians in our Bible, Paul says, guess what? I didn't come to you with excellence of speech or of wisdom. Now, what does he mean by that? Paul is basically saying that I didn't come to you with lofty words or big words or high-sounding rhetoric. The New Life Testament translates it this way, to make it sound as if I were so wise. Paul's language here is anti-sophistic. What that means is one of the features during the Isthmian Games was is that they would have this competitive showmanship of local provincial rhetoric. Reportedly, there were crowds of wretched sophists could be heard competing for the applause of the crowd while rhetoricians were called in to entertain diners between banquets and courses. So additionally, there were sophistic conventions regarding the initial visit to a city by an orator seeking to establish himself and a reputation as a professional speaker. The orator would be escorted with all sorts of enthusiasm and eclat. However, Paul is saying, I didn't come to you that way. I didn't come to you declaring the testimony of God like those guys do. Look what Warren Rearsby has to say about this. Paul had not come to Corinth, this is so important, don't miss this, to glorify himself or to start a religious fan club. Can I just say this? There are too many pastors out there that are worried about their brand. I'm not going to get off track. I'm going to go right back to the text. Just let that sit in. You know what I'm talking about. The motivations are wrong. He had come to Corinth, watch this, to glorify the Lord. And brother, you had it right earlier when you talked about the right motive. We need to do it, and we need to do it for Jesus' name, not ours. So the itinerant philosophers and teachers, watch this, they depended on their own wisdom and their eloquence to gain followers in the city of Corinth. But Paul did not depend on eloquent speech or clever arguments. Had he used spectacular speech, Warren Risby says, Paul would have exalted himself and hidden the very Christ that he came to proclaim. Oh, my gosh. 
I didn't know this until I started studying this. I just assumed that Paul was just this awesome speaker. When you read his letters, they're very rhetorically structured and they're meaty and powerful. But by a human standpoint, Paul's preaching was actually unimpressive. Let me give you a few examples if you don't believe me. Check this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 10 says this. Paul says this. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Then he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 6a. He says, even though I'm untrained in speech, he admits it, friend, yet I am not in knowledge. But guess what? Paul was in good company because there was a man named Moses who couldn't speak that well either. Do you remember what Moses says in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10? He says this, then Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And I love the Lord's response. So the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth or who makes the, makes the mute, deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have I not, have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what to say. In Exodus 4, 15 and 16, he says, I'm going to give you Aaron. I'm going to be with Aaron's mouth and with your mouth. Just speak my word. But then what about Jeremiah. Jeremiah said this to the Lord, oh, Lord, behold, I can't speak from a youth. But look at the Lord's response to Jeremiah. And Jeremiah 1, 7 through 9 says, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Don't be afraid of the faces, brother, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. Oh, I love that. And the Lord said to him, behold, I put my word in your mouth. You don't need eloquence, friend. Just open your mouth and let the gospel out. That's all you got to do. But there's another word in our text. The first thing is you don't need eloquence when it comes to evangelism. You don't need eloquence. Hear me. You don't. I want that to settle in because I know when you hear all these preachers and speakers come in and you probably say, I can't do evangelism. I can't talk like them guys. They know so much. I, I, listen, listen. You don't need eloquence. Please hear that today. If you don't hear no other points, remember that one. You don't need eloquence. The next thing I want to say is you do need simplicity, though. And you were right on, brother. You were right on. You need simplicity. Look at the text. He says here in verse number two, for I determine not to know any thing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a small word that is very important. The Greek word is gar. It's translated there as for. It's a conjunction and it's adverbial and it's causal, which means that he's explaining the reason why he took up a specific action. So Paul is saying, I didn't come to you with excess of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God for. For this reason, in other words, I had already determined, the word that determined in the Greek is krino, and it basically means that you reach a decision after a cognitive process. So Paul had thought about it and had determined that all I'm going to know is Jesus Christ and him crucified. I ain't chasing no rabbits. What do you think about this? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, what do you think about this? Jesus Christ. What do you, Jesus Christ 
and him crucified. The Son of God, who put on flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, through a work of the Spirit, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, willingly died on the cross, buried in a grave, rose from the grave three days later, and whoever calleth on the name of the Lord shall be saved. His death was vicarious, substitutionary atonement. So the death that we deserve for our sins, Jesus paid for it all. That's the gospel. Very simple. Very simple. Paul said, I determined not to know anything. Anthony Fizzleton says this, to proclaim the crucified Christ and Christ alone was Paul's settled policy. Nothing would compromise the central place of Christ crucified. I love that. I love what DT now says. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find some bread. That's really all it is. Hey, hey, not, not, not a sweet roll and a cup of coffee, but the bread of life, my friend. That's all it is. We complicate this thing. We complicate this thing. It's simply that. And I, I ran across this in my study, and I love this, and this is what I found to be true. And here's the reality is, guess what? We, we always in the bread line. Either we receiving the bread, so this morning, 6 o'clock, get out of my bed. It's my normal uh, 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 discipline. And, and talk to the Lord and pray and say, Lord, I need you. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to live on mission today. Help me to be intentional. Let me be a light to the world. Let me be the salt of the earth. Just, just pray. And then you get up and you give away some bread. You know what my study was this morning? I, I got so excited. I forgot that I was in a hotel room and, you know, the walls are thin. I was like, oh, Lord, I got to calm down in here for they call somebody up in here and, and, and send security up here. But I was reading uh, Psalms 24 this morning. I love it. And I got to the end and it was saying, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The word just touches you. You know what I'm talking about? Touches you. Touches you. And I just, I love the word. And, and let me just say this. I know I'm new. Some of y'all don't know me. I really am Baptist. I promise you. Baptist. Okay. Don't be concerned. Don't write Keith a letter. Say what you did, brother. I'm Baptist. I promise you. I'm in your tribe. I tell people that I'm Baptist, I'm Baptist in doctrine, Pentecostal in delivery. That's it. Okay? That all right? That worked? Okay. All right. But I promise you. I promise you. All right? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 22 through 25. Here's what Paul says. For Jews request a sign. We ain't worrying about that. Greeks seek after wisdom. We ain't worrying about that because we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But watch this. To those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. 
told the church of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3, verse 1, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Paul focused on the gospel. The gospel. So there's another word in the text. When it comes to evangelism, listen, listen, you don't need eloquence. You need simplicity, and you also need humility. Look at the text. Look what Paul says. He says, um, I was with you, verse 3, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Look at the transparency. Scholars are all over the place, however, as it relates to what Paul is referring to when he uses these terms, weakness and fear and in much trembling. Some believe that Paul is referring to the persecution that he experienced because prior to coming to Corinth, he was imprisoned in Philippi. He was ran out of Thessalonica and Berea, and then he was basically mocked by some um, at Mars Hill in Athens prior to even arriving in Corinth. So some believe he's referring to that. Others believe that he's referring to physical ailments that he may have been dealing with. Paul mentioned in his letter to the Galatians that he had preached the gospel to them because of a physical infirmity in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13. And then he also mentions in his second letter to the Corinthians that he actually did have a physical problem in his life that caused him great grief. He said he asked the Lord to take it away from him three times, but it was there so lest he be exalted above measure. And still other scholars believe when you see these words, weakness and fear and entrenchment, that Paul is basically using these words to describe a spirit of dependence and subjection to God's authority while in Corinth, which marked his entire ministry. You can see this in Philippians chapter 2, 12, the same language. Here's what he says. Therefore, my beloved, as always, as you always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation, not for, but work out your salvation with what? Fear trembling. And then he tells the church of Ephesus, uh, Ephesians 6, 5, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ. Mm -hmm. So it could mean that Paul had a posture of humility, weakness toward the Corinthians, while he had a posture of awe-inspiring majesty toward God, fear and trembling as he carried out the work of spreading the gospel in Corinth. But what's really important is why he put it there. Why would Paul put that there? What Paul put that there is because he was drawing a contrast between himself and the self-confident and self-promoting rhetoricians and sophists there in Corinth. Paul says, listen, those guys are confident and, 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 and they got it all together and, 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 and they're eloquent and they're, and they're, and they're wise and, 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 and they're just real, real confident. But guess what? I wasn't eloquent and, 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 and I didn't have a whole lot of the wisdom they talk about. And I was there in, in, in weakness and, and in fear and in trembling and, and God still used me. You don't need eloquence. He was just simple. Jesus Christ and him crucified. You ever heard the story about the young man that went to seminary, graduated from seminary, 
came out of seminary. He knew, you know, he was homiletics and exegesis and hermeneutics and knew a little Greek and Hebrew. And, man, he knew the word. And, man, he knew he could preach. And he was just the best thing since sliced bread. And he, he stepped into that pool pit at his first church. And he was ready to preach. And, and he thought he was just going to preach the house down. I'm, I'm going to preach. Guess what? It flopped. And he walked down humbled. And an older man in the church walked over to him and said this, hey, brother, if you had went up the way you came down, it would have been a good sermon. <laughs> Humility. Humility. I ran across a few of these quotes. Let me sit in for a minute. It is possible to be too big for God to use you, but never too small for God to use you. Now, I'm not saying that you need to have some sort of inferiority complex, but I am saying that you should avoid a superiority complex. True humility is not to think low of oneself, but to think rightly, truthfully of oneself. There was this song that I was singing this morning. It came on my Amazon music, my, 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 my gospel music. You know, most of my experience has been in the black church. So every now and then I hear some of my, my black gospel songs come on. It's this song, oh, I need you, Lord. I need you, Lord. And that's one of the songs, and I was getting a little afraid that I might be too loud in my hotel room. But, but that's true. I need him. We need him. Ministry has a way of showing you that you can't do this by yourself. No, it has a way. God can put you in some places, and I've been in some, where you're like, unless the Lord shows up in this place, we ain't going to make it. It creates in us a healthy neediness for God. It does. When I got saved in NC State and I started preaching immediately, which is dangerous because I was basically ignorance on fire. I mean, I'll read the text the first night for the first time in my life, turn around the next day and preach it. And I was listening to some of those tapes over the Christmas holidays while I was doing some work around the house, and I was just laughing at myself. But God really blessed, and, 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 and people from the campus started, started coming out, and it, and it really growed. And we, we named it Servants of the Lord. I would preach on Thursday night, and then Wednesday, on Friday night, we would travel. I played football, and, and on the team, I would do the devotional. Then Saturday, before the games, I'd pray as we go out on the field and pray as we came off the field. So God was really using me. So I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Then I went to a church. thinking it was just going to happen like it did at NC State. And that's when I learned, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It has a way of showing us that we need God. And I'm grateful that God broke me and humbled me. It was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. I'm like, Jake, I got that, I got that limp now. You know what I'm talking about? Richard Baxter says this, humility is not a mere ornament of a Christian, but an essential part of, a, of the new creature. It is a contradiction to be a sanctified man or a true Christian and not be humble. 
So when it comes to evangelism, please hear me, we need to be humble. If people are responding to the gospel, that through our, us being a mouthpiece for God, give God the glory. Don't give yourself your glory, your techniques your gl the glory, your presentation method the glory, but God the glory because God saves. Jesus saves, not us. Trying to help somebody. But there's another word in the text. You don't need eloquence. You need simplicity. You need humility. But you also need the right motive. This is so important. Don't miss this in this text. Look what he says in verse number four. He says, in my speech and my preaching, we're not with persuasive words of human wisdom. So Paul goes back. He's continuing to distance himself from the kind of rhetoric an orator that was expected in Corinth because that's what they were judging him against. Because that was the case in Corinth. All those orators and rhetorical guys, rhetoricians and all that, they would come there and they have these conventions. They could speak so well, all of that. And they're judging Paul against that backdrop. Paul adds, but contrast, my preaching didn't have that. I'll admit it. But it did have something. Look what he says. In demonstration of the spirit and of power. The formal equivalent for the word there, demonstration, is proof. It was a technical legal term describing irrefutable evidence offered in court. The Corinthians desire proof of rhetorical gifts. Yet Paul offers proof based on the fact that God's Spirit is powerfully at work. Paul's preaching had the support of the Holy Spirit's transforming power in the Corinthians' lives. Warren Wiersbe says this, the Holy Spirit used Paul's preaching to change lives, and that was all the proof that was needed to show that his message was from God. Wicked sinners were transformed by the power of God. The only proof we need is the reality that the Holy Spirit changes lives. I remember when I got saved at North Carolina State. Played football, Stone Mountain High School, DeKalb County, east of Atlanta. Did well enough to get recruited. Went to NC State. Redshirted my first year. Started as a redshirt freshman the next year. Tore my ACL during the course of that season. Had to have surgery. Went through rehab. Takes 10 months to come back from ACL. During that period, a teammate of mine, Ray Robinson, they used to have Bible studies next door in his apartment. A local pastor would come over and lead those Bible studies. He asked me when things were good in my life, and I was just doing my thing, and I declined. But when I had that brokenness and went through the knee injury, I was like, okay, Ray, I think I'm going to come on over there. So I went to the Bible study. Now, don't judge me for this and don't pick on me about this. Now, I wasn't a believer. I didn't, I didn't know no good. Now, I didn't know no good. But sometimes I would watch TV and I flip through, I might see TV and I see people blowing on stuff and people falling out and they know it. And I'm like, well, man, man, if I go over there and take my knee over there, that might, he might fix this thing. Straighten it all out. So I went on over there, asked Pastor Cameron, I said, would you pray for me at the end of the Bible study? He said, meet me in the back, let it clear out, I'll come back there and talk to you. I'm sitting back there, he comes back there, David Cameron says, hey, brother, this is not about your knee. I'm thinking, what is it about? He says, do you know Jesus? Now, let me be honest with you. I had the gold chain around my neck with the cross on it. Even the gangsters wore those in my neighborhood, and those were in style, and I had the cross um, tattooed on my arm. But guess what? He went in my life. So I admitted to him. I said, you know what, that, Pastor Cameron, I, I don't know the Lord. I don't, I don't have a relationship. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to keep it 100. 
He says, do you want to know the Lord? I said, yes, I do. I want to give my life to him. So he simply just walked me through the gospel, shared the gospel with me, got saved July 2001, prayed with me, and released me, let me go. I shared that story because he wasn't seminary trained either. And he didn't even have a high school education. Okay? And his speech wasn't eloquent. Wasn't a whole lot of wisdom either. Ah, he just simply said, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And watch this. The Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin. And for the first time in my life, now I had, read, I had some run-ins with church. I would go Easter, right, show up, and in the black community, we get real clean on Easter. Everybody go to church on Easter. With grandma and everybody, everybody got to go. So I heard some preaching before. That day, for the first time, through a simple message and a simple man, I saw myself in comparison to a holy God for the first time. See, up until that point, I always compared myself to my peers that I, where I grew up. I'm not on the corner selling drugs. I ain't carrying no guns. I ain't in no gangs. I'm playing football. I'm getting an education. The first one in my family to get a degree. I'm, go, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good person. But the reality is, is I was comparing myself to my peers. But that day I saw God and I saw myself. And it was an Isaiah 6 experience where you say, woe is me. I am an unclean man. And I got right with God. But again, simple message. Simple man. And the Holy Spirit convicted me and my life was changed. Jesus stepped out of heaven and stepped into my heart and changed my life. And here I am 21 years later. To God be the glory. I'm trying to help somebody in here. When it comes to evangelism, you don't need eloquence. You need simplicity. You need humility. And you need the right motive. Let me say this real quickly. Paul basically supports this by saying there was a similar experience in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, Paul says this, For our gospel, watch this, oh, I love this, did not come to you in word only, but contrast also in power. There it is again, and in the Holy Spirit. There it is again, and in much assurance. The NIV says uh, 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 deep convictions that you had. Uh, and, and as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The same thing happened in Corinth. I mean in Thessalonica. That happened in Corinth. But look at verse 5. That. Greek word hina translates that. It's an adverbial and it's a purpose. It's a purposeful clause. Here's why he's saying it. That your faith, and the faith here is response to the proclamation of the gospel, 
which is a gift of God and not because of the sway and the craftiness of rhetoric or manipulatory presentations. Paul intentionally chose to use a simple and unaffected style that drew no attention to himself so that the Corinthians' faith could be in the right place, which is in the power of God. So no matter if you accept, Pastor, another church, the people that came to faith under your ministry at that church, they carry on because their confidence was not in you and your ability to preach, but it was in the power of God. Many of men that are stronger than us have stood in this place and preached these words at, that, at, that, at, at, at these type of conferences that unfortunately have fallen. But you're still here. You're still walking with Jesus. Why? Because your faith was not in the wisdom of men. Your faith was in the power of God. See, when people leave the church and I'm done with Christianity, your faith wasn't in the right place in the first place. It was in the communicator, the messenger instead of the message. A faith based on human arguments would be built on sand. One commentator says this, to be solid, referring to faith, it must be a work of God. Paul wanted to be sure that their faith did not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. That's it, my friend. So when it comes to evangelism, hear me, you don't need to be eloquent. You need simplicity. You need humility. And friend, you need the right motive that people would place their faith in the power of God because God is on the throne and Jesus saved me and changed my life just like he did yours. That's it. That's it. The Lord is good, ain't he? I hope I freed somebody in here today. Because I talk to a lot of people, and I just, I don't know a whole lot. I, I mean, I just can't talk that good. I, God can use you. Just open your mouth. Tell them what if I'm great. And keep it moving. Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful today. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach to these dear people here at Louisiana Baptist. I, I pray, Father, that as we leave here today, we will remember what you've shown us here from the word. These are timeless truths, Lord. We, we don't need to be eloquent. It's, 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 it's not, that's not it. It's, it's about the simplicity of the gospel and, and us just being hum humble and sharing that message and with the right motive that people have their faith in, in the power of God and not in the wisdom of man and just, and just letting you work in hearts and in lives, oh God. So let our confidence not be in ourselves, but in the power of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation. So God, use us 
bless them as they leave their churches, to create a culture of evangelism, to equip the people in their church, God, to be able to share the good news of Jesus and let everything go back to the gospel. May they ask that question, is this going to lead us to get the gospel to people who desperately need it? If it doesn't, Lord, to move on and do what only focuses on the gospel going forward. And we give you all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. I appreciate you.